But when it comes to putting together what I'm going to preach to you, I take it from the Word of God and what God puts in my heart. And so this morning I have a message for you I've called The Value of One. If you would like to turn with me in your Bible to Mark chapter 5, the Gospel according to Mark chapter 5, I'll read from there in just a minute or two. I want to ask you to make sure that you come to church next Sunday morning. If you've got plans to do anything else, and it's possible to change those plans, change them today or tomorrow. Make sure you come next Sunday morning. If you cannot be here next Sunday morning, by 1 o'clock in the afternoon, I hope that you'll be listening to the message on our website. I really believe that about two and a half to three weeks ago, the Lord spoke to me with a message for next Sunday. I toyed for a long time in my own mind about preaching it today because, frankly, I've spent more time dwelling on that message than I have on the one I'm preaching today. It's something I believe God's revealed to me, shown to me in a different way. Maybe, with, maybe it isn't brand new, but it's a fresh revelation to me, an understanding of something that Jesus said and how it applies to us. So next Sunday, I'll read a statement that Jesus made, amplify that, and speak about how that statement about himself applies to every one of us. I don't know what the title of it is yet. I haven't got around to doing that. I've just got the message put together in my mind and my heart, and I don't want you to miss it next Sunday. That's important enough for me to take a little bit of time to tell you that right now. And so, this morning, this message, The Value of One, is based on Mark chapter 5, and I'm going to start reading with the first verse. They came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gerasenes. And when Jesus had stepped out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit. He lived among the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain, for he had often been bound with shackles and chains, but he wrenched the chains apart, and he broke the shackles in pieces. No one had the strength to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. And when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and fell down before him and crying out with a loud voice, he said, what have you to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? I adjure you by God, do not torment me. For he was saying to him, Jesus was saying to him, Come out of the man, you unclean spirit. And Jesus asked him, What is your name? He replied, My name is Legion, for we are many. And he begged him earnestly not to send them out of the country. Now a great herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside. And they begged him, saying, Send us to the pigs, let us enter them. So he gave them permission, and the unclean spirits came out and entered the pigs, and the herd, numbering about 2,000, rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowned in the sea. The herdsmen fled and told it in the city and in the country, and people came to see what it was that had happened. And they came to Jesus and saw the demon-possessed man, the one who had had the legion, sitting there clothed and in his right mind, and they were afraid." 
And those who had seen it described to them what had happened to the demon-possessed man and to the pigs. And they began to beg Jesus to depart from their region. As he was getting into the boat, he was leaving. They said, leave. He decided to leave. As he was getting in the boat, the man who had been possessed with demons begged him that he might be with him. And he did not permit him, but said to him, go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. And he went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis, in the area of ten cities, is what that means, began, began to proclaim in the area, throughout the ten cities how much Jesus had done for him. And as they heard how much Jesus had done for him, everyone marveled. Spirit of God, I pray that you will energize every word that is spoken from this time forward from this moment throughout the rest of this service. Speak to every person clearly, distinctly, directly by the Holy Spirit. And let your word come into our minds, into our hearts, and come into our spirits that we may receive the very message of God in Jesus' name. Amen. Jesus is on a specific mission. He has an appointment His disciples know nothing about it. He has left a large crowd of people. I just read to you what happened as recorded in Mark chapter 5. In Mark chapter 4, the first verse, it is said that a large crowd gathered around him. So Jesus had a large number of people and he taught them in parables ministered to them. And at the end of that teaching, he said to his disciples, let's get into the boat and go to the other side of the sea. He didn't give them any reason. He didn't give them any further direction. He just said, let's go. And when Jesus spoke, they obeyed. So they went and got in the boat, took him on the boat with them, and they started sailing across the Sea of Galilee on their way to the land of, the, of Gadara or the Gadarenes or sometimes in some translations written the Gerasenes, all the same thing. So they were crossing the sea to this one point of land that was Gentile territory. As they crossed the sea, a large storm arose. A great wind whipped up suddenly, and the sea was disturbed. The disciples began to be afraid because the boat was taking on water. They were afraid they were going to capsize. Jesus was asleep in the stern of the ship. So they went and woke him up. I'm sure there must have been more than one of them waking him up. A lot of them were afraid. But they woke him up. They said, we're about to perish. Don't you care? And he said, well, let me take care of that. So he walked up in the deck of the ship and he said, to the storm, be still. And the storm just calmed down. And then his disciples said, what kind of man is this that we're following? That he speaks to the winds, to the waves, to the storm. And they obey him. They had not yet grasped truly who he was. I'm going to tell you the reason for the trip across the sea. I'm going to tell you what I believe is the reason for the storm that came up. 
And I'm going to tell you what happened when they got to the other shore. Jesus has started out to accomplish something that nobody knew about but him. None of the disciples knew where he was going or what he was going there to do. They had no idea the purpose of the trip. Apparently nobody asked him. When he said, let's get in the boat and go to the other side of the sea, they all got in. Most of them were fishermen and sailors anyway. So they took him in the boat and they started across the sea and they went through the storm as I just described to you until they got to the shore at the land of Gadara. Jesus knew where he was going. He knew what he was doing. He had left that great crowd. Now remember the scripture says there was a large crowd gathered. Jesus left every one of them, several thousands of them most likely, because there were thousands who were gathering around him at this time, as testified to by the fact that he, one occasion, said, fed 4,000 men plus women and children. Another time, fed 5,000 men plus women and children. And so there were thousands of people gathered. He had a huge congregation, but he got in the boat and left them and started to the other side. Because Jesus was on a mission to one man. One seems like a small number. If you had a choice of one or a thousand, if I'm talking about dollars or people to preach to or anything that we would consider good, we'd take the thousand as opposed to the one. Jesus knew he was walking in the will of the Father sailing across the sea in the will of the Father, ready to do something the Father had directed him to do because one man, one person, one individual was more important to Jesus at that time than anybody else in all the world. I don't know why that man would have been important to him. There was nothing good about him. Nobody could find anything good about him. They called him the crazy man of Gadara because oftentimes during the night they would hear him wailing, screaming, and crying out screechingly. Nothing's indicated that what he was saying, but I'm sure he wasn't saying anything good. Most likely profane things, blasphemous things. In the distress of his soul, he cried out. He was filled with strength beyond human strength. The scripture says that there were times that they tried to restrain him. They put shackles on him. They bound him with chains. He would stretch his arms and pull them apart, break the chains. Yet Jesus was on his way to see this man. If you were looking for somebody to go and talk to and minister to, you wanted to go be a witness to somebody, this is not the man you would pick. If the Lord told you to go talk to somebody like that, you'd say, Lord, are you sure you're talking to me? I don't think that's your calling for me, Lord. I'm supposed to sing in the choir. I'm supposed to be an usher. I'm supposed to come to prayer meeting once in a while, but I know you're not sending me out to deal with somebody, to talk to somebody, to minister to somebody, to witness to somebody like this. And yet Jesus is on his way, plowing through the sea, plowing through the storm, determined to get there. There's a man that's waiting for him, and that man doesn't even know he's coming. 
So he wasn't going to see anybody special, not special in a good sense. He didn't have an appointment with the mayor. He hadn't called the president. He hadn't asked for an appointment with the pope. He wasn't even going to see the ruler of a synagogue. He was on his way to see a man who was a derelict of society. He was on his way to see a man who was a cast-off. He was on his way to see a man who was misunderstood, and in the misunderstanding that people had for him, he was hated. He was, in the terms of our best vernacular today, he was a nobody. He was worse than a nobody because sometimes nobodies just don't bother you except they hang around. He did more than that. He wailed and cried and screamed and cursed and yelled, threatened people as they walked by. People were afraid of them because nobody could subdue him. He was stronger than anyone else in that power of the demon possession. But Jesus is not deterred. When he is led to go there, he goes. He's on his way to find him. And the reason is this. Here's the point I want to make. This is the first really important thing. Jesus is on the way to see that man as low as he is. As degraded as he is, as debauched as he is, as unseemly, undesirable, unfriendly to say the very least about him. He's on his way to see that man because nobody is unimportant to Jesus. (laughs) Nobody is insignificant. Nobody's unimportant. Nobody is a castaway. Nobody is an undesirable. Nobody is an untouchable to Jesus. And he's on his way, leaving the mass of people, going across the sea, traveling through the storm, determined to get to one place, to step out on the shore, on the, on, on the land when he gets to the edge of the sea, to step out on the land. And when he does... There's a man who rushes up to see him. And if you saw that man rushing to see you, and I would be the same way. I'd say back that boat out on the water a little bit and pull me back in it. But Jesus, when he steps out on the land, sees this man come. And the man falls down before him. And Jesus, knowing, knowing, speaks to him. And he says, come out of him, you demon spirit of hell, come out of him. And then the man starts to speak, but he speaks in the voice of the demons. And he says, leave us alone, you son of God. You see, the devil and the demons know who he is. (laughs) Leave us alone, you son of God. We don't want you to bother us. And Jesus said, come out. And they said, we don't want to come out. We've got this man. We've got a home in in him. We're here to torment him, and we don't want to be disturbed in doing this. Leave us alone, Jesus said, come out. By the way, he said, who are you anyway? Because, see, they knew Jesus. He knew they were demons. He didn't say anything about identifying them. They didn't deserve an identification. So they just used a generic name. We are legion, for we are many. Who knows how many demons possess the man? It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. 
What matters is that it was demons who were controlling him, and Jesus was there to answer his need. Now, I want to tell you, friend, it doesn't matter what your need is. It doesn't matter how bound up you've been. Oh, just wait till I preach to you next Sunday morning. (laughs) It doesn't matter how bound up you've been. It doesn't matter how arrested you've been by the devil. How held in the clutches of demon power you've been, it doesn't matter. Because Jesus is the answer. When he speaks, the demons have to flee. Hallelujah. They have to give up. I want to just say just a couple of things to you about some things that I... When I, when I tell you that I can't prove this by the scripture, I always do that. And then I try to give you a good reason for why I believe I'm right. I can't tell you why they had to go through the storm. I know that Matthew talks about this very same event in the 8th chapter of his, of his record of the gospel. I know that Luke does the same thing also in the 8th chapter. And now Mark in chapter 5 is talking about it. Mark actually talked about the storm in chapter 4 before I started to read. So they all tell about the going across the sea to get to Gadara to the demon-possessed man. And they all tell about the storm. But nobody says that there's any reason for it. So I'm going to give you two reasons that I think could be true. Either or both of these could be true. First of all, the devil was probably trying to stop him from getting there. You say, well, the devil knows he can't stop him. Yeah, he does, but he hasn't accepted it yet. He knows it, but he hasn't accepted it. He also knows what his end is. He knows where he's going to wind up when this, event, when this, uh, when this plan of God all comes to a finalized conclusion. He knows where he's going to wind up. But he's still fighting against it and he thinks he can stop it. He thinks he's going to be able to overturn the plan of God and change God's plan. He's not. He's deceived just like he is a deceiver and he's deceived. He's not going to be able to do that. But he's still trying to stop Jesus from accomplishing the will of the Father. He, would, he did not want his cohorts, his impish emissaries to be cast out of that demon-possessed man. He wanted to stop that. So he wanted to destroy Jesus on the sea. Why he would think that he just could destroy somebody in the water who could walk on the water, I don't know. All I can tell you is he's not as smart as you give him credit for. <laughs> so, so that's one reason. Satan was probably trying to hinder Jesus. But another good reason is to build the faith of the disciples. I mean, these men are standing around him, and when they get off the ship, I presume they, when he gets off the ship, I presume they get off with him, and here comes this demon-possessed man charging at them, falling down at the feet of Jesus. They didn't know what he was going to do. It took some faith to stand there. I'll tell you, when I'm standing here some Sunday morning, and some crazy person, demon-possessed or whatever he may be, starts coming down this aisle towards me, I expect a bunch of you to get up and grab him. <laughs> I want you to get up and get a hold of him. I know some of you are packing. I'm not advising you to shoot him till you have to. The last, the last minute, if there's no other way, go ahead. But, but before that time, I want you to step out there in that island, block his way and grab him and hold him and, 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 and keep him away. And I'll just keep on preaching. <laughs> he wanted to build the faith of the disciples. That's what I'm trying to 
stress to you. He wanted to build the faith of the disciples. They, he wanted them to believe with him. So he showed them as he had done before in other ways. On the way over there, one of the last things he wanted them to know was he's in charge of everything. He spoke to the winds and they stopped blowing. He spoke to the waves and they calmed down. He spoke to the storm and it stopped. And they sailed across placid water to the other side of the sea and got out to minister to this man. He wanted to build their faith so they would stand with him in this time of testing and this time of demonstrating his power and victory over the devil. They got the benefit of that as well. So Jesus is looking at the man and he says, come out of him, you emissaries of evil. Come out of him, you demons of destruction and distress. Come out of him, you foul forces of the devil himself. Come out of him, you legions of Lucifer. You will not be allowed to stay here. Come out of him. And they came out. They came out because Jesus cast them out in the power and the glory and the victory of his name. Jesus is always the victor. In any contest with the devil, in your life, in any church, in any situation, in any business, in any location, in any contest with the devil, when Jesus stands against the devil, he's going to win. Hallelujah. He's going to win. Praise God. Hallelujah. So Legion was set free. And then they said, these, these nasty little old demons... They said, well, please don't send us into the abyss. Don't cast us into, into darkness. Let us go into those pigs over there. Now, I'm going to tell you, I have always questioned why Jesus did this. I've questioned it. I prayed about it. I was talking to Carolyn about it the other day. I said, I've got a lot of questions about why Jesus did this. I mean, it was 2,000 pigs. I mean, that ain't... You know, 2,000 pigs today, that ain't nothing. Back in those days, that was a lot of moolah. A lot of coin, on, coin invested in those pigs by those people. And he, and, he sent them let, and he let the demons take them down into the sea. And, and I'm going to tell you, I, I may still have some questions about it. But I know this. Prayerfully, I said, God, help me to understand this. I've, I've, I've wrestled with it for years. And I think a very simple answer came to me. A very simple answer. I said, Lord, is it that simple? And I felt like, yes, it is. It's just that simple. All of this, this whole narrative that takes up a chapter in the scriptures is there because it's worth teaching something by the actions of Jesus and is teaching us the value that he places on one individual person. And I want to say to you this morning, in the mind of Jesus, when he let that happen, he was saying, one demon-possessed man being set free and delivered is of greater value than 2,000 pigs. Uh, there may be still questions about it. I still have some questions. But I believe that's the central message he wants to say, that a man's life is more important than anything else. A person's life, soul, being is worth more than anything else in this world. 
It's worth more than a couple of thousand pigs. It's worth more than a fleet of automobiles. It's worth more than a string of houses in various places throughout the country and the world. It's worth more than bank accounts in a multiplicity of banks. It's worth more than an investment that captures the stock market. It's worth more than anything else that you can get your hands on. It's worth more than money. It's worth more than gold. It's worth more than treasure. It's worth more than the world. And that's why Jesus said, what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world but loses his life? His life is more important than anything else in the world. Every day, Every day, always, every hour of the day, morning, noon, and night, always, at all times, your life is more important to God, the God who loves you supremely, the God who has made you, the God who has created you, the God who loves you, the God who saved you, the God who walks with you. Your life is more important to Him than anything else. You are a treasure to God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. One life, one person, one soul is more important than anything else could possibly be to Jesus. And so, friend, you look at your life, and I know that right now some of you are thinking about, oh, if that's true, God, show me a new direction. God, show me your plan. Show me, Lord, where you want me to be. Show me how to overcome this despair. Show me how to get rid of this oppression, this bondage. And I'm going to tell you today, he will do that. He will do that. This is how important you are to him. I know you've heard this again and again and again, but it will it. It never has, it never will lose its power. It's as powerful to me as it was the day I first heard it, as the day I first said it. This is how I know that what I tell you is true. Because Jesus Christ, the eternal Son of God, the King of glory, the creator of the universe who holds all of this collection of galaxies together in all of his greatness. This king of glory humbled himself to take on himself the sinful flesh of man and give his life a ransom for me and for you. That's how much Jesus loves you. That's how much Jesus cares for you. You are more valuable to him than anything else. You have greater value. You, personally. Yes, you. I know you're thinking right now of all the things that you did this week. I know you're thinking of those things that you know you shouldn't have done. You knew it when you were doing it, you shouldn't have done it. I know you're thinking about those things. And you're saying, what can I do about that? Meet Jesus here. Meet Jesus here. This is like coming to the cross. The cross is his altar. This is just representative of it. Know that he loves you. Know that he cares for you. Know that he wants to express and demonstrate his power in your life. He wants you to overcome, to be victorious, to live in the glory of the victory of Jesus Christ. And you can.
And you can because he cares for you. I know some of you are wondering why, how this could possibly be true. How could this be true? I, I, I just don't see how. If you just, Pastor, if you just knew, I don't need to know. Already told you, don't want to hear about it. <laughs> I don't need to hear about it because I'm not your answer. You want somebody to hear about it? Tell it to Jesus. Tell it to Jesus. Because he is the one who is the answer. He is the one who loves you more than anybody else in this world loves you. More than anybody else will ever love you. And the greatest message that said to me, I'm important to him. I have a value beyond anything else that he's created. He created all the universe And I am of greater value to him than all of that. He didn't die for the stars. He didn't die for the planets. He didn't die for the galaxies. He died for me. And you. That's how much he loves us. That's how much he loves us. When I was a little, just a little boy, I must have been, I don't know, six or seven years old maybe. I went to a little Methodist church. One reason I love the Methodists, I wish they'd get back on track. I don't say that meanly. I don't say that, I mean, I mean, I just say it lovingly, really. I went to a little Methodist church for vacation Bible school. I don't remember the person's name who was my teacher. I don't remember anything else about the Bible school except that we made what they, in those days they called a paper mache. You know, you mix, I don't like what it is, something you mix up, make stuff out of it, crafts. And we'd worked on those things. And my teacher told me in that little vacation, I'd never heard, if I'd ever heard the name of Jesus before in my life, I don't know it, I don't remember it. Never heard his name before. My family, nobody spoke of the name of Jesus. And if anything was used with the name of God, it was with a curse. I didn't know anything. But that morning, that day, that week of vacation Bible school, this teacher said something to me that stayed with me the rest of my life is still with me today. She said to me, Jesus loves you. I didn't understand it, didn't grasp it, but I remembered it. And then later on in that week, she said, Jesus died for you. I didn't understand that either. I really, when they told me how he died on the cross, I'd never heard that before. And he told me how he died on the cross, and the teacher said he died for me. I walked across the street. I only lived across the street from the church. I walked across the street that day, and I'm thinking, wow, I sure am glad he died for me. I I guess those soldiers, because I was just a little boy, I guess those soldiers would have come over here and got me. They might have been waiting for me if he hadn't died for me. (laughs) I know how simple that was. It it, It sounds childish, and it was childish because I was a child. But I'm telling you that, that, that in that week, in that week, until years and years later, Jesus Christ became real in my life. I didn't think about it a lot. I didn't think about it in those years a lot. But when Jesus really got hold of my life and brought me to him, I remembered it. 
but the first time I'd heard it. And I want to tell you this morning, my friends, as simple as that is, as plain and as immature and as childish as that is, and it is, it's still the greatest truth you will ever hear. That Jesus loves you because he loves you supremely. And he died for you. That's the testimony that he loves you. More than anything in life of the world, he loves you. And he wants to do something for you today that sets you free. Bow your heads with me in prayer, please.